you for being here. Um, today, uh, right now, we have a lecture by uh, Dr. Tupjin Tendarla, um, who is going to speak on Tibet today, but I did want to go ahead and remind you and everybody um, that we have the San Mandela being constructed today, um, tomorrow from 10 to 5, and then Saturday, the closing ceremony at 1.30, um, and a performance over at the Performing Arts Center at 7.30 p.m. So we hope you'll join us for some or any of those events. Um, Dr. Tupton Tenderla um, is a professor at the Rhode Island School of Design, as well as the University of Rhode Island. Um, he teaches on peace and nonviolence in Tibetan Buddhism. Um, he was a former uh, Mystical Arts of Tibet tour participant and a monk at Drepung Losing Monastery for over 20 years. Um, and he is here to speak to us today about Tibet today, the current conditions in Tibet. Um, and so if you'll please welcome Dr. Tupton Hinderla for me. Thank you, Elizabeth. Hello, everyone. How's everyone doing? Feeling okay? Okay, very good, very good, thank you. Um, well, thank you very much for your, um, you know, um, effort and uh, your support. And uh, I would like to share about uh, Tibet today, um, you know, the history of a diaspora. And uh, so to start with, um, we will talk about where is Tibet? Okay, so <laughs> we'll talk about Tibet, but first, where is Tibet, right? Anybody have been to Tibet? No? Okay, good, good. And, but everybody knows Tibet, and uh, many of you also support Tibet, so thank you very much. And yes, so Tibet is uh, in uh, Asia, has border with India, Nepal, Bhutan, and on the other side, Mongolia and China. And on the northeast side, it also is close to Afghanistan. So Tibet is in Asia, and it has border with uh, many countries, including the giant China and India on the southern side, right? Okay. So now you understand the geological significance and locations of Tibet, where it is, and therefore it becomes important uh, for uh, geopolitical situation as well as for economy and other reasons, okay? As also ecological reasons as, uh, as we are talking about and experiencing uh, climate change and so on, Tibet is an important uh, reserve for um, uh, icebergs and so on, right? As we know, Tibet surrounded by the chain of Himalayan mountains. Okay, all right. Okay, so we will go to, you know, uh, in order to go to, uh, in order to discuss about the current situation, uh, we will start with a brief history of Tibet. Okay, so. Um, um, so where is Tibet, and then you know, um, 
we'll talk about a little bit of history, like who ruled, uh, you know, Tibet, um, and when was Tibet actually formed, or who was the first king, you know, this kind of thing. So looking back, looking from the historical perspective, and uh, so uh, the first Tibetan king, Nyati Tsempo. Nyati Tsempo was the first Tibetan king, and uh, so this year is the 2149th year of Royal Tibetan calendar, okay? So we can put Tibet back into 2,149 years of record, all right? And uh, also it, it might be interesting, today is the seventh, uh, 20th day of the, of the seventh month according to Tibetan calendar. So now, you know, <laughs> so, you know, we have a difference of, you know, over, a little bit over two months, right? And that is uh, Tibet um, is, you know, uh, traditionally um, observing the uh, lunar calendar, right? So every four years there's one uh, extra month and so on, so it makes changes. And so today is the seventh, uh, uh, 20th day of seventh month of 2149th year, according to Royal Tibetan calendar. All right. Okay, so uh, what do, why do we talk about that? Is because Tibet has its unique culture, unique tradition, unique language, and its, you know, um, way of living, etc. Right? So, um, Tibetan culture, uh, as many of you know uh, today, is, um, you know, um, deeply immersed in the philosophy and thinking and practice of Buddhism. Uh, and, uh, but there was a spiritual tradition already before Buddhism came to Tibet. So that was Pernpo, Pern tradition, which existed in Tibet. And, uh, and uh, Buddhism came to Tibet um, later, okay? And uh, so it has also uh, some relations to do with the the development of written language of Tibet. Okay, so some people, uh, you know, over the years, some people have asked me about how similar or how different is between Tibetan written language versus Chinese, you know, written language. And, you know, I say it's totally different. It's totally different. And uh, because, you know, first of all, Tibetan language comes, comes with 30 consonants and four vowels. And so it is alphabetical, and so unlike, uh, you know, to do with symbol, right? Uh, so that is different. Also, the Tibetan, you know, uh, script or the written language was um, uh, initiated uh, by Tume Sambota, who was a great scholar sent by Tibetan king to study in India. So he studied in India, went back to Tibet, and, and then, you know, uh, initiated this written language. And therefore, you see in alphabetics, uh, uh, alphabets and sound and so on, you will hear so many um, similarities between Sanskrit or Hindi and Tibetan language. Like, you know, ka, 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 nga, those alphabets are, you know, pretty similar to uh, Hindi uh, or Sanskrit rather than 
um, Chinese. All right. Okay. So that's a um, little bit about you know uh, the Tibetan language, Tibetan culture, based on uh, today the uh, value and and philosophy of Buddhism, and before that, uh, tradition. Um, uh, you know, uh, commonly practiced in Tibet. And um, so it's interesting, many of the practices, the symbols and so on in the Pern tradition are so much, have so many similarities with Mayan culture and Native American traditions as well. So if you see some jewelries or like a ray, or like a deer dances or, you know, something like that, you see so many similarities that is interesting to observe. And uh, so that's a little bit about Tibetan culture from the historical perspective. Okay. So um, also, who ruled Tibet for how long or, you know, until when, right? So Tibet, uh, as we talk about 2000, 149 years of its, you know, uh, existence and uh, its calendar. So Tibet has been uh, ruled by many kings, uh, you know, starting from King Nyate Tsempo and going all the way um, until, you know, there was the uh, invasion of uh, Mongolian king of Tibet. And then afterwards, um, as a mark of respect and reverence, the Mongolian king um, transferred the power of Tibet to the, the Dalai Lamas, who was their you know, uh, spiritual master. So, and so therefore, we see that for many, many years also, uh, reincarnations of His Holiness the Dalai Lama serve as both uh, temporal as well as spiritual um, leader of Tibet. Okay. All right. So, you know, it's kind of interesting um, to see that, you know, many, on many occasions or many times, actually, it is the people of Tibet who requested His Holiness the Dalai Lama to be their leader rather than him wanting to uh, stay in power, you know, to run Tibet. So that's something unique, um, uh, you know, the relationship between the citizen and their leaders of Tibet. Okay, so um, since, um, since, okay, um, I will talk more about what happened to Tibet that, um, sort of say forced Tibetan out of Tibet. Uh, but here it is related to that is that um, since uh, the Dalai Lama or His Holiness the current Dalai Lama uh, escaped from Tibet, um, the first initiative that he took in the exile is that he wanted to uh, transform or change the political system of Tibet. And the first effort uh, or one of the first efforts, education was, uh, uh, you know, his major goal, and also, you know, democratizing, uh, making, uh, you know, democracy, the system for Tibetan people was his 
one of the first effort as soon as he reached um, India uh, from Tibet. Okay, so um, so therefore, uh, for many years, you know, I still remember for many years, His Holiness has been telling Tibetan people, uh, you know, I'm going to retire. You you have to, you know, <laughs> elect or select your own leaders, you know, to run um, this. Um, country or you know the nationality and um, and the long the public referendum was like please continue to lead in <laughs> Tibet right so he has been asked uh, and re requested from both you know Tibetan people inside or outside Tibet to be a leader uh, uh, continue to be their leader and so uh, in uh, early 2000s he you know, sort of like say forcibly saying, I'm semi retiring now, so you have to prepare. And then eventually he retires saying, I'm no longer uh, going to serve as a political head, but you have to elect your own political leadership. And so since then um, we had, um, you know, the, the election for uh, the, um, the, the post of Sikyong or the president of Tibet. Um, so this is the third term, um, three or third of the four-year four year terms uh, that um, the elected leadership is running the Tibetan community um, as their political leader. Okay, so that's what we are talking about: who ruled Tibet or who is the leader or the political leader of Tibet. All right, so the, um, you know, related to that is, you know, why did His Holiness the Dalai Lama and many peoples, many Tibetans escape Tibet? Why did they leave Tibet, right? So that is um, related to diaspora that we are going to talk about or we are talking about is that, you know, um, Okay, so how many of you read about the communist revolution in China? Right? Okay, all right, very good. Almost everyone, yes. So in late, uh, in 40s, 1940s, right, there was this um, effort um, headed by Mao Zedong, who is also called as Chairman Mao. So he led the Communist Party of China, and uh, we call CCP, right? So, so he um, basically encouraged all the uh, people, and of course, forced many people, and including causing their lives. And uh, so they overpowered um, the historical China and turned um, China into a communist state, okay? And so not only they capture, um, you know, what the, the historical or mainland China is, but also they annexed many regions and Tibet later was, uh, you know, a part of that annexation, right, and invasion. Okay, so, um, communist revolution inside China, and um, they didn't stop there. 
they want to continue and they want to um, increase their power and control as much as possible and that's why uh, they uh, reach China, uh, Tibet and so um, Mao sent his so-called People's Liberation Army <laughs> to control, not to liberate. <laughs> That's why I call so-called Liberation Army. <laughs> All right. So, so PLA uh, controlled and invaded uh, Tibet, and so you know it comes at great cost, great disaster for humanity. Uh, we are talking about a life of more than 1.2 million Tibetans who, you know. Uh, who lost their life as the um, result of Chinese invasion of Tibet. Okay, so um, uh, suddenly I have you know personal family connection with what happened there, and uh, my uncle, my father's brother, who was a monk and geshe at Dipung Monastery in Tibet, was you know one of the victims. He was in prison simply because he was a monk at that time and. He was in jail for decades and torture and everything, and family members killed and so on. My parents had to flee, uh, basically, from Tibet to save their lives. And you can think about, you know, journeys of uh, months and months, you know, without any anything but uh, threat to your life. So those are some of the impacts that you know was caused on. You know, it's not just my family, but 1.2 million Tibetan people, you know. So it's uh, on a mass scale. And uh, so that's what, uh, that was the, you know, result of PLA invading Tibet. And uh, so His Holiness the Dalai Lama, along with, uh, you know, about 100,000 Tibetans escape Tibet. And so uh, they... Uh, many of them uh, came from Tibet, uh, walked across the Himalayas to India, and some of them went to Nepal, some of them went to Bhutan, right? But the majority uh, came to India, and that's where the diaspora of Tibet started. Uh, that's in 1959, 1959, okay? So, um, but, you know, the disaster didn't end at the invasion of Tibet or occupation of Tibet. So after the occupation of Tibet in 1959, uh, there was a continuous, you know, destruction of culture, continue, uh, you know, a continuous um, destruction of life and so on. And later they um, initiated a program called Cultural Revolution. Okay, so Cultural Revolution, as many of you might remember, was one of the big programs um, that basically um, China as, as a state um, controlled and took over every possessions, including the well-being of the citizens. So that means, you know, uh, my family used to own lands and cattle and so on, but from that day on, it was the property of the state, not individual, right? So you work and you, you work throughout the day or night whenever you are called, and 
the compensation is you get something to eat. Okay, sometimes that's not enough even to survive. <laughs> All right. So, but that is a very inhumane program called Cultural Revolution, and uh, with under that banner, they destroy lots of culture, lots of tradition. Of course, practice of any spirituality was banned, and uh, I was talking about you know uh, my uncle in, being imprisoned for decades just because he was a monk, you know. So that's, you know, um, how um, the, the, um, the meaning to CCP uh, acted under this, uh, um, you know, cultural revolution umbrella. And it lasted for pretty long um, until 80s, 1980s. Okay, so it, was, uh, it lasted very long. And... Uh, so, let me see. All right. So, um, cultural revolution. And after that, there was some change as Mao passed away and Deng Xiaoping, you might remember, became, you know, the state head of China. And then there was a little bit of policy change. And so, he... Uh, instead of now, you know, um, state owning everything, he decided to divide, you know, property uh, back to the people. Uh, but still, you know, we didn't get back what we owned, but we get what the state wanted to give to us, right? So we get a very small portion of land or cattle or, you know, whatever, and maybe a little bit of what they call freedom to practice religion, freedom to, uh, you know, uh, to do business. Uh, but, you know, freedom to practice religion um, is to say, oh, you know, just renovate some of the, not all, but some of the monasteries that were destroyed by the PLA so that they can say that there is freedom of religion in Tibet now or China now, right? So that was, um, you know, a systematic, uh, but it's a little um, maybe more attractive to um, the outside world to show a little bit of attraction towards the outside world. So that was the uh, idea. And so... Um, so why do we say that? Uh, is there no freedom of religion in Tibet now, right? <laughs> so we, let's talk about what is happening in Tibet today, right? So what is happening in Tibet today is um, systematic assimilation, all right? Systematic assimilation, meaning that, you know, there are, you know, forced or um, government-sponsored um, moving of large number of um, Chinese citizens into Tibetan villages and Tibetan towns and also turning Tibetan cities and towns into Chinese character, uh, cities of Chinese character and so on. So that is uh, that. And at the same time, there is, um, you know, ban 
on teaching Tibetan language in the Tibetan schools, right? Now, only the Mandarin Chinese are taught or are allowed to taught um, to the school children. And so now, you know, it is very cunning because if the new generations, that if the new students, if they don't learn Tibetan language, then how will the language survive, right? And so it's very uh, systematic. And uh, now, you know, um, a few years ago, I was able to, um, you know, I have been wanting to go to Tibet for so long, and I was able to go to Tibet a few years ago. And what I saw was some of the schools in the villages, uh, you know, schools in the villages that used to be schools, uh, that they were all closed. And what happened was they opened new government schools in towns far away from villages, far away from families, far away from people. So children are basically locked up into these giant schools and they can go to see their parents or parents can come to see them at the gate, not inside the gate, all right? So you can see sometimes it's, um, you know, even, you know, it's um, sad that, you know, some parents who decide to visit their children, if they get some permission, um, they feed their children to give their, you know, a favorite dish or a treat through the gate. You know, can you imagine that, you know, you know, feeding or giving treat to you uh, and, and he or she cannot take it inside. He has to eat there, right? So that's sort of like, a, again, you see separation of the new generation, the students from the family so that, you know, they has no um, ability to uh, communicate, learn, to transfer their knowledge, uh, language, etc. So the villages are um, empty of students and students are locked up into uh, giant schools that uh, are sponsored by the government and which is highly monitored and the government, um, um, you know, decides what to teach and what not to teach, all right? So that's why I said uh, systematic assimilation and also, you know, um, of course, we were talking about practice of religion or practice of Buddhism, etc. Uh, so there are, it's true that there are uh, some monasteries, um, but those monasteries are highly monitored, okay? And now, in order to, you know, uh, appoint a monk as the abbot of the monastery, abbot has to be approved by the government, right? <laughs> so what do they have to be, uh, you know, how do they, how do someone become, you know, an approved candidate? Is that he or she has to, you know, say that, you know, the CCP or the party is the most important thing, right? So, you know, there are this, um, um, you know, um, conditions. And also, you know, you might have heard about this um, 
patriotic re-education programs and so on. And it really happened in the monasteries and nunneries, the officers or the CCP members come to the monastery to teach about communism and in talk about patriotism and so on to the monks. And then they have to actually, not just they come to monk, I mean the monastery, but each monk has to complete those lessons and get the completions so that they can stay at the monastery. Okay, if they decide not to take it, that means they have to go out of the monastery. Okay, so now, um, you know, is there really a freedom to practice religion, you know? So it's clearly not, right? Okay, so, and uh, of course you might have heard that too, is that it is deemed illegal to possess even a photo even a digital copy of photo, digital uh, copy of the Dalai Lama's portrait. It's illegal in Tibet, you know. Many Tibetans are being arrested and imprisoned for just possessing a photo of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, whom they respect uh, for spiritual, you know, uh, uh, as a spiritual leader. Okay, so therefore, uh, this is the condition that's happening in Tibet right now, and uh, also the restrictions of moving in or out of Tibet is, you know, uh, a very, it's a con control mechanism that CCP is being using, is that people inside Tibet are not given passport, even though they are called Chinese citizen, they're not given passport to travel, right? And those Tibetans, all supporters like you who support Tibet uh, and Tibetans in diaspora, when they want to go see their homeland, they are barred from doing, going, there, uh, going to their home, right? So it's a, you know, disconnection. It's a ban on moving in and out because they are afraid that, you know, with people comes the knowledge, understanding, and information, and therefore they want people to uh, remain uh, uninformed or uneducated about what is happening in the real world rather than just to get brainwashed by what they promote through CC, you know, TV. That's the government program or the only program television channels in Tibet or in China, all right? So those are the conditions in Tibet right now. And uh, so what are we doing about it, <laughs> right? <laughs> what are Tibetans in diaspora doing uh, for Tibet or, you know, about that? Is, um, so as you, as you know, you know, we are spread uh, throughout the world. When the last election uh, happened uh, for the political leadership of Tibet um, last year, so, you know, there were, the elections were casted from like over 30 different countries. So we are spread all around, right? And so, um, so there are both pros and cons as you might, as you know, right? So there, it's good that, you know, it, there might be good coverage, but also it is super hard 
for um, people to, you know, uh, get together and to, you know, um, unite their effort, their, you know, um, um, uh, resources, etc., so that, you know, the movement becomes um, stronger. So that is those one of the, you know, challenges. But, you know, despite the challenges, um, uh, Tibetans in diaspora are striving, trying their best to preserve their language, preserve their identity, preserve their culture, so that, you know, even after they hope that, you know, Tibetan culture, Tibetan identity could, uh, you know, uh, live longer than the Communist Party of China, all right? So, um, and uh, there are movements like, you know, um, you know, uh, free Tibet movement, uh, and also like, um, 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 you know, um, free Tibet movement, that's also, let's say that, you know, um, the official uh, demand for freedom is a demand for genuine autonomy, okay? Um, genuine autonomy for Tibetan people so that uh, they can preserve their cultural language, identity, etc. Uh, and uh, that was sort of like a, you know, negotiation or sort of a, um, um, reconsideration from Tibetan part or, or um, under the leadership of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, um, they, uh, you know, dropped from demanding independence, independence of Tibet to uh, genuine autonomy status for Tibet. So it's more freedom for Tibetan people because that is more immediately needed, okay, more immediate because uh, the culture, the language, the identity are under constant threat, and therefore that's, you know, as uh, the mystical arts of Tibet, uh, one of the main purpose of this tour of this monastery is to raise more awareness about Tibet situation and also to um, collect funds to support such uh, movements, such, you know, uh, efforts to preserve and educate younger generations about language, culture, their spiritual practices, etc. So, you know, um, there are lots of organizations uh, doing that. And uh, so there are, uh, you know, uh, many Tibetan schools educating, um, you know, younger generations, even though Tibet, Tibetan was is not allowed to taught in uh, to teach uh, in schools inside Tibet, but uh, people who are living outside Tibet um, are trying to teach their kids uh, Tibetan so that it can be preserved, right? And so the effort is uh, going on in India, Tibet. I mean, India, Nepal, Bhutan, as well as in the U.S., U.K., Canada, etc. So there are. Um, uh, so it's generally uh, saying that uh, people in diaspora are doing their best to preserve what China wants to destroy. Okay? All right? Okay. So, um, 
So what do you think? Now you heard about the history, you heard about um, what's happening and, and what are we doing about it. What do you think? Is there any hope for Tibet? Right? So, um, from, um, you know, a Tibetan, you know, uh, perspective, diaspora, as well as uh, people I talk to, you know, some people who are inside Tibet, and they are very resilient. They are very hopeful, and they are even, even if it, it means, you know, in prison to, to them, they are not ready to give up. So, you know, there are a lot of courage, enthusiasm, and those are, I think, our um, forces of, for hope for the better future of Tibet. Okay, so yes, and, uh, and besides effort and courage from Tibetan side, um, we have wonderful, um, you know, support from, you know, people in the U.S. as well as U.S. government itself, including, as um, you see, you might have heard, about, um, you know, U.S.-Tibet policy of 2020 and uh, so on. So, uh, U.S. as well as, you know, um, many other countries um, have been very generous and uh, sincere about supporting um, for the democracy, uh, for the freedom, and for the uh, well-being of Tibetan people. So um, we are grateful that uh, there are, you know, lots of support uh, from the U.S. and also, um, um, you know, from other side, you know, um, as if I quote one from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he said, "The universe is on the side of justice." Okay, so meaning that, you know, it may take some time to get uh, there, but eventually, uh, you know, uh, justice will win. And, you know, and His Holiness always says that Tibet cause is a moral cause, you know. It's not about, um, you know, it's not about economy, it's not about, you know, power, nothing like that, but it is a moral cause and so you know based on love and compassion and kindness based on respecting the human dignity and value of human lives uh, so therefore um, we believe that eventually you know there will be a better um, year and better days for tibet all right so um, yes we see hopeful <laughs> remain hopeful uh, thank you and uh, the um, sort of like concluding part is, what can we do for Tibet as an individual, as an organization, right? As people living in a free world, what can we do for Tibet? So, um, I, you know, of course, you are very creative. You, are, uh, you have, you know, um, uh, many, uh, understanding about Tibet and so on. I just listed a few, which is one of them is to raise more awareness about situation and existence of Tibet itself, right? And, uh, you know, today we got, you know, 4G and, some, and somewhere else we have 5G and everybody might have, you know, cell phone and so on, but many people don't know about Tibet <laughs> still, right?
And this is not in an accident because if you Google Tibet or Tibetan map, you will end up with a, with a map that is um, created by the Chinese government more than what you will see the traditional, the historical map, you know. And so same thing with the information. And many times, you know, there are um, sort of say information wars, you know, they are putting lots of misinformation about Tibet and trying to hide the correct information about Tibet. So that's, you know, one of the reasons why many people don't know correctly about Tibet, even though every, pretty much everyone has access to internet, <laughs> right? So what we can do is to raise more awareness, more correct information about Tibet so that, you know, and uh, that is actually um, one of the things they are afraid about. His Holiness the Dalai Lama said many times that if each Chinese people get access to, you know, free information, they will make judgment based on their logic, their reasoning. And, you know, because that source is banned, now, you know, they are dependent only on what, you know, the CCP is producing and that's brainwashing, you know, many of that. So, you know, um, that's to raise more awareness about Tibet. Um, one example of, uh, one good example of organization that has been, you know, uh, supporting and working for Tibet is International Campaign for Tibet. International Campaign for Tibet abbreviated as ICT. And ICT has been over the years uh, petitioning um, U.S. government as well as other organizations uh, to help release political prisoners in Tibet as well as to, you know, uh, support for more freedom and so on. So that's uh, one way you can get uh, affiliated with. Or um, for students, that is Students for Free Tibet, it's called SFT. Uh, it's a great uh, international movement, and uh, they are doing great uh, over the years. And uh, also, you know, um, you can share, uh, as we talk about raising more awareness, you can share or post on your social media, etc., about or write, you know, articles about Tibetan culture or Tibetan, you know, way of living, language, etc., so that, you know, we uh, share more information about Tibet. And, uh, of course, this effort by the monastery is also to support those um, efforts in the monastery. So your support to the monastery, to, you know, this um, mystical arts of Tibet is deeply appreciated. And uh, with this one, I also like to point, point out that, you know, when uh, you go out, there is a sticker on the uh, table with the Geshe Doje. Um, there's a free Tibet sticker, so feel free to bring, in, bring one or two to uh, use it yourself or share with your friends or so. So it's also to raise more awareness about what Tibet has been, you know, um, uh, you know wanting, has been uh, looking for. Okay, that's freedom. All right. Okay. So that's, I've been talking a lot. So <laughs> 
with uh, a lot of things, so I hope um, um, I didn't bombard you with you know so many things. But I would uh, um, welcome any questions that you might have. So questions are welcome. Yes, please. Very good, very good. Thank you. So, to my understanding, uh, and uh, you know, I have relatives too. So, you know, the kids um, come out of that school gate um, pretty much when there is like a long vacation. So it's not monthly. It may take few or even sometimes several months for them to get out of that gate. So, um, oh. Um, from very young age, so I don't see any primary school. So from you can say from primary to high school. So pretty much every children. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Any other questions? Oh, let me add to this one. So previously, for some time, you know, sending students to schools was not mandatory or not necessary. So what did, what did many Tibetans do? Many Tibetan kids joined monastery or nunnery <laughs> to study. And now, you know, since uh, last uh, several years, um, sending to the government school was made mandatory. So there is no excuse or no freedom, but you have to send your kid to the government um, school. <laughs> Do a lot of parents like, hide their kids? Now, there is no, actually, there is no way. There is no way. i give you one example, okay? Um, one of my friends, who was also a monk at Tepung Monastery in India, so he went back to Tibet many years ago, and after going back to Tibet, he um, founded uh, a Tibetan orphanage, okay? Because, you know, at that time, uh, there was, no, you know, no orphanage or no public school, so he founded one from the scratch. You know, he started with uh, going to each family, begging for eggs or begging for flour, sampa, you know, he started with that. So he started with a few kids and then gradually it grew and he had, at, at one point, he had more than 150 um, orphans uh, at his school. So he started teaching Tibetan, English, as well as Chinese. And then, you know, uh, the authorities uh, starting to uh, interview, integrate uh, him, like, very often. And even then, he was not uh, ready to give up. That's what I was talking about, resilience. He was saying, you know, you know, education, I'm doing nothing. I'm just, you know, educating Tibetan people or educating students, which is allowed under the constitution of China, right? And so they couldn't say much, but they, you know, 
pressured him and they, you know, tried to support, uh, the, they tried to pressure the supporters and so on. Eventually what they did was uh, the kids were sent for summer vacation. And so during the summer vacation, the authorities went to each family members of the school and told them that if you, are, if you send your child back to that school, we are going to punish you, you we are going to take away your land or not, uh, you know, uh, doing this and that. So they terrorized the parents, the relatives or the family members. And so no relative could send their kid back to the orphanage, which means closure of the orphanage, right? So you see how different systems they use to, um, you know, uh, oppress education and free, free education in Tibet. So that's, you know, and now they make it mandatory for every kid uh, to go to government school. And they have list of everyone, uh, you know, I think we don't have, I mean, we have social security numbers pretty much it. They have what they call as a household list. So that means each house has a sort of like a small booklet in which each family members are listed on it. You have to show it and without it, uh, you know, nobody is permitted to live there. So, and it's easy to go through that list and say, you have a child, where is that child, you know? So there was um, a campaign for uh, some time, even forcing those kids who were uh, in India to force back to, you know, Tibet, taking some children away from Tibetan Children's Village, TCV in India, to force back to Tibet because of the Chinese pressure. Any other questions? If not, how about round of applause? Thank you. Thank you very much.